Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Risk! Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from the past. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, we're rerunning possibly the most popular episode of Risk ever. It's Kevin Goes to Kink Camp, which first ran on the podcast in September of 2011. Now, before we start, I want to say a few words about this particular story. From the day we started doing these reruns of Classic Risk Stories, fans have been telling me, Ooh, you have to rerun Kevin Goes to Kink Camp. But every time someone would say that, I would cringe a little. The truth is, I've been avoiding rerunning this story for all this time because I regret the way that I worded and framed some things in the story. Now, as much as some people hate to hear this, we have re-edited some of the classic risk singles that we've rerun to remove sentences that now seem tone-deaf or problematic but it would be too difficult to remove parts of Kevin Goes to Kink Camp. So you will soon be hearing exactly what everyone heard in 2011. I was 41 years old then, I'm 50 now. I was brand new to kink and BDSM when I went to the camp I talk about in the story, but I'm an experienced kinkster now. In fact, I sometimes teach kink classes. 
In the story, I refer at one point to a woman dressed as a man, but I've learned a lot about gender issues since then, so now I should say I really have no idea whether that person was a woman. I, I would have to have met them and learned that from them. But also in the story, I basically say that I have a fetish for Asian men. I regret saying that. There's nothing wrong with fetishes in and of themselves, but that word is appropriately applied when a person is unusually aroused by a particular part of the body or an inanimate object like a piece of clothing or one of the bodily fluids. It's far too objectifying to say that one has a quote-unquote fetish for an entire race or ethnicity. There's an infinite range of distinctions and uniquenesses between individual human beings. Even to say that one has a preference or a type around race is to be walking on a live wire. I mean, if your type is large men or short women or anyone with red hair, that's all well and good. But someone's race or ethnicity is an issue deeply entangled with family, with politics, with history, with social justice. And we all have psychological complexes about race and ethnicity. And we all want to feel that when it comes to sex and romance, we're each ultimately seen as the unique sum of many distinct parts, and not just one of these giant archetypes that just out of our collective consciousness, we all have such complicated histories with, like black, white, Asian, Latinx, and so on. Two years after Kevin Goes to Kink Camp was recorded, I found myself deeper into kink <laughs> than I'd originally envisioned. Someone at that camp had warned me, Oh, you're new, Kevin? Well, keep your head on your shoulders because kink is a Pandora's box. <laughs> well, I laughed, but two years later, I discovered a couple new fetishes that I was uncomfortable having. And I'd had some people online accuse me of being a racist for saying the kinds of things I said in this story. So, I shut up. I stopped recording these in-depth, long-form radio-style stories. I've always given the excuse that it's because of writer's block, you know, when people ask. But really, it's that I began to fear that if I kept delving into such complex things out loud in these sprawling, exploratory, intimate stories... I was just bound to say too much again or say something harmful again. So I started therapy and I deliberately sought out a therapist whose field of research is sexuality, kink, and BDSM. And on the first day of therapy, I sat down and told my therapist, I'm here because I want to stop being aroused by a couple of the fetishes that turn me on. And because I want to stop being so attracted to Asian men. I'll never forget what he said back to me. 
He said, Kevin, I can encourage you to experiment. I can encourage you to try all sorts of other sexual activities that have nothing to do with your fetishes. And I can encourage you to experiment and to have romantic and sexual relations with various other people than Asian men. But what I cannot do is to make you stop liking what you like. Each individual sexuality comes with an orientation toward genders, an orientation toward types, and an orientation toward activities. You can always be expanding your horizons and staying open to new possibilities in those realms, but unless the things that turn you on most are illegal or harmful, it's usually counterproductive to try to stop liking what you like. So, all these years later, <laughs> I still like what I like. But I do try to be more mindful of how I say what I say. And how I share these very same sorts of thoughts and feelings with people I get into sexual and romantic relationships with. So this week, I am finally rerunning Kevin Goes to Kink Camp. Because in spite of it all, I'm proud of it. This story has meant a great deal to a great deal of people over the years. I can't tell you how many risk listeners have told me that hearing this story played an important role in their own trajectory of the messiness of coming to understand sexuality. And I know that just like the risk podcast and just like anyone's sexual journey and just like the truth itself, Kevin goes to kink camp is messy and loaded and worth it. Quincy agrees. Okay, now here's the show. The first thing I saw as we were driving into the campsite, on the right side there were cabins, and then on the left there were tents, just like any campsite, but as we're driving over this incline, straight ahead of us, I see we're, we're about to pass this, <laughs> this voluptuous blonde woman, this woman that looks like Anna Nicole Smith sort of person, and this gorgeous, like, ripped black man. He's tying her arms up to this, uh, what looks kind of like a maypole. <laughs> And uh, what little sunlight there was was just like beaming off these people. And they were laughing and we started laughing as we passed them and we waved. And Jefferson said, um, he said, see, even though it's cold, we're going to start seeing that around every corner we turn in this park. Naked people laughing. Now, Jefferson is a friend that I made pretty recently. He, uh, he's a prominent New York storyteller. He had a difficult monogamous marriage for uh, about 15 years. And then he finally got out of that and became what we call polyamorous. 
now he is the kookiest, craziest person around. And he, he told this story at a Risk Story Slam about a time that he was teaching an erotic biting workshop. And afterwards, I came up to him and I was like, that is so outrageous. I didn't know. I, I, I guess I just didn't know that such workshops existed. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm going to a summer camp in just like a month and a half where there'll be a lot of workshops like that. You got to come along. And the brand of my own show has kind of um, like pushed me into this evolutionary trajectory where I said, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. I'll sign up and go on this kink camp adventure with you, Jefferson. Now, the next day, after I had paid my, whatever, $400, $450 to, to go to this camp, that I decided to write to the camp director and say, you know what, how many gay men attend this camp? And he wrote back, oh, not many at all. It's mostly, you know, women and straight or maybe bi dudes. <laughs> So I knew right away, yes, I was indeed going to be outside my comfort zone. It had been a long time since I had approached a situation saying, I have no idea how I'm going to feel about this. I have no idea what I'm about to experience. And that... We just don't have enough of that feeling in our lives. But I did have some preconceived notions. You know, Jefferson came over to my house a couple days before kink camp. I said, you know, I've talked to some people and they say, oh, aren't all those kinksters like ugly? A friend of mine had said to me a couple days prior, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that whole kink community is where ugly people go because they've kind of given up. They figure, ah, fuck it. I don't fit the rest of society's boundaries or standards of what beauty is. So fuck it. Why not let it all hang out? And, uh, you know, I think Jefferson gave me some sort of Jesus-y kind of reply, you know, like, uh, well, ugly is as ugly sees or something like that. But um, I would get my answer to that question at camp, but in far more layered and meaningful ways than I had ever suspected. And I was also pretty frank with friends before going to camp about the fact that um, there weren't going to be many gay guys there. I thought, well, okay, what's something I've never done before? I've never been with a lady. You know, since I'm Mr. Open and accepting and, you know, like to think of myself that way, why the fuck not? You know, and here was an opportunity to try something like that. I mean, you think to yourself, if at 41 you've never been with a lady, I mean, come on. But uh, I was open to the idea when I went to kink camp. You know, I hate when gay guys speak disparagingly about f women's bodies or when anyone speaks disparagingly about parts of men's bodies. Like, I never call people 
dicks or assholes or pussies or anything like that because I, I think that, um, well, at least I try not to. And it might sound like I'm super ridiculously PC, but the fact is, I think that that language and the fact that it's every fucking where you look in this sick world of ours that is killing itself, that language comes from very, very deep, very, very prominent fear and loathing of our bodies and our sexuality. It's not meaningless. It's, those aren't just words. That is hate. That's hatred of our bodies. So, if I'm such an open, accepting guy, I figured I should, uh, you know, walk the walk. I should uh, venture into the land of boobies and, and everything else. Now, there were two traveling companions with us. Jefferson was, you know, I, I talked about polyamorous relationships. He was testing those boundaries this very weekend. He was with his dear friend, April. The two of us were very simpatico right from the beginning with a sort of a, um, good-natured joking around, a kind of a joking around that's not mean-spirited but kind of appreciative of people, you know? But she's like a very, very, like a high-power sort of professional woman. And the other woman with him was Mary, a little quieter and more sensitive and a mother of a few kids. I've never seen a person more intently focused on the road. She wasn't listening to a thing anyone else was saying, carefully getting us there safely. And Jefferson was up front next to her, just bopping and singing along to the hits on the radio the entire time. And then April was in the back with me, just kind of quietly making fun of Jefferson. And I was explaining to her how, as far as my own fetishes go, I had no idea how this was going to fit into that whole arena because, you know, my big thing is Asian guys. And you never know how many of them are going to show up to anything. I was explaining to April that, you know, I mean, the extent to which kinky stuff comes into my own life is only that I go to gay sex parties often. And gay sex parties, the ones that I go to at least, are not themed. You don't see people dressing up. I, it, all, the, all, all you see is sex, which I was about to learn is a rather vanilla <laughs> sort of uh, <laughs> pastime for the crowd that I was about to get to know. So we get to our cabin, and then in pops Bobby. He's this super skinny guy. Uh, I don't know if he was Irish or Scottish or English or something like that, but he's like, hey, guys, good to see you. Have a beer or wine or whiskey. And I thought, you know, I could see myself going to like a Rolling Stones concert with this guy or maybe going out on a fishing weekend or something like that. But uh, such a regular nice guy here at Kink Camp. And we said to uh, Bobby, we were like, is this all? Is this all of us now here in the cabin? And he said, no, no, no. There's this guy, Pete and Missy, his, his wife, Missy. He said, 
listen, it's awesome because he's got all these great instruments and the guy knows every Hank Williams song ever done. A couple minutes later, they walk in. Uh, Pete is this kind of little guy dressed... For some reason, he was dressed a little bit like he was a character in Dickens, you know, with kind of like a shabby top hatty kind of thing. And she was a very tall, good-looking, just very, very gentle woman, just very kind of hippie-esque. And and as they're entering, Pete has got a mandolin <laughs> in his hands. And he, he's, he's, you know, doing some sort of Hank Williams number, even as we're being introduced to them. So... Already we had this quirky cabin of just instantly friendly people. And I remember saying to Bobby at one point, I said, if this is the spirit of the place, then so far it's good by me. And Bobby said, oh, no, no, listen, let me tell you something, Kevin. In this camp, people beat the living shit out of each other. And then you sit down with them for dinner And you find out these are the nicest people in the world. And we were just in time for dinner. We went down to the cafeteria, this huge room that could seat about 500 people, just filled to the gills. Everyone is just beaming, smiling, hugging, waving, toasting. It was, it felt like, um... You know, like it was uh, VJ Day or something. <laughs> like, like without us really seeing very much sex or anything like that going on yet, I could tell that there was a feeling of, <sighs> we're here, we're going to spend a weekend being totally free. But I get a chance to kind of look around for the first time at at the demographic because remember I had that thought in my head of my friend saying, aren't, aren't most of these people ugly? Well, what kind of amazed me was so many different kinds of people. There were elderly people there, people who looked, you know, just like my mom and dad. People who had been swingers in the 60s and 70s, smiling and <laughs> You know, practically patting people on, you know, the younger people on the head. There were a lot of Californian types there, people who were into the spiritual side of sex, who would be having all sorts of meditation and tantric breathing workshops throughout the weekend. There were a lot of people who were just hot, young kinksters, like the people that we had seen coming in. Uh, There were a lot of nerds, a lot of... uh, People who loved Doctor Who and loved dressing up as pirates or um, medieval knights or people who, who, who add a real sense of humor into their kink play. There was an unusual amount of lesbians, and I found out later that that was because uh, this particular camp was co-founded by a woman that lesbians are just crazy for. <laughs> And throughout the dinner that night, people just kept wanting to get up and make toasts. You know, someone would just get up and be like, I just want to give a toast to the fact that Miss Slutty Slut is here this year. And everyone's like, woo! And then myself and Jefferson and April and Mary, we all wanted to go to this event called Experiment. I think it was pretty brilliant of the camp to have this particular event on this first night. 
basically what it was is they had this giant barn that they called the dungeon. And in the barn were just dozens of little stations, little nooks where certain you know, c- certain kinds of tables you can lay on or poles you can attach yourself to, all that sort of thing. But at each station, there was a sign, almost like kissing booths, a sign where here you can try being spanked. Here you can try being erotically bitten, which was what uh, Jefferson's... Jefferson was going to be running one of these booths. There was a guy who would, like, blow fire over you, and there was a guy who would flog you. Jefferson has to go to his booth. He has to start biting people. And April and Mary wanted to kind of stick together. But see, I have this thing where, um, well, I like to cruise. I like to go, for example, to gay sex parties and... You know, just kind of wander around. I fe- I always feel a little bit like a shark, you know, like kind of cruising through the water looking for the next bit of prey. <laughs> so I'm cruising around by myself, this um, this big experiment event, and, and it starts to, I start to get that feeling of, ooh, I, can I participate? I, ooh, I, I. You know, I've never been spanked. I've never been flogged. I've never been punched or had fire spat at me. (laughs) I've just never done any of this stuff. Uh, So I'm walking through the room in the midst of everything, in the bowels, as it were, was a station and a table, and the sign said, anal probing. And I looked up. And there's this young lady in her early 20s, I guess, very blonde, very short hair, very, very, very boyish looking, just kind of adorable in every way possible, huge smile on her face. And as I'm passing by, she says, would you like an anal probing? Now, I had already heard Jefferson and some of the other people there kind of joking about how you know, all of the stations made a certain amount of sense for people who were going to be trying kink for the first time, but wasn't anal probing taking it a little too far for this event called Experiment? I mean, you know, having to take your pants off right in public on a table and have someone have their hand up your ass. <laughs> but the fact was, when I came up to this table, I thought to myself, that's the only thing here I've ever done. That's my comfort zone. So when she said, would you like an anal probing? I said, um, yeah. And she just lit up. She was like, great, let's get this ball rolling. Because I guess a lot of people had been, you know, shy about coming up to this particular booth up to that point. So I started taking off my pants and my underwear and you might think, what, what the hell? But I love, I love that moment of just getting naked in front of people. I don't know why, but that's kind of a kink of mine. The process of just shedding things right in the middle of people. 
getting up on that table naked from the waist down, I, I don't know. It, it, I get a, a thrill out of that because there's something just so, like, freeing and ballsy and kind of fuck it to that for me. So I lay down on the table and people are milling about with their little cups of Coke and noshing on pretzels. <laughs> and she said, well, my name's Strap-On Joe and this is kind of my specialty, helping guys get off via the prostate. And she started, <laughs> she started explaining how you know, about four inches up. And if you curve your finger toward the interior of the belly button, there is this pea spot, the prostate gland. And I'm like, yes, yes, I, I have heard of this thing. <laughs> and she says, okay, 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 you know the deal. So let, let's get this going on. So she puts on a medical glove and she lubes it up and she you know, knows exactly what she's doing. She knows exactly how to get there like that. The thing of it is, when, when you do press that spot, I, 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 I don't know about other men, but for me, it's just like instant. <sighs> and Joe saw that and she was like, oh, I think I'm on to something. She said, but she, she could see that I was trying to stay quiet. She was like, no, 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 no. Let it out. She's like, the noise, the noise you make will get me off. When I'm in the midst of sex like that, I really do become a little bit of a Mr. Hyde. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about the fact that I am a man. <laughs> I make very manly sounds. And I become, I don't know, I become like very, very, not the way that my persona works in ordinary life. I become quite gruff and lumberjacky. And so, in the middle of this milling crowd, She's, you know, kind of massaging back and forth in there, and I am, you know, letting out my... Uh, and at one point, I did kind of open my eyes a little bit, and I looked up at Joe, and she was just like, Wow, dude, you are digging this, and I'm digging that you're digging this. And I didn't notice them at the time, but uh, April walked by, and Mary walked by, Everyone was seeing the uh, spectacle unfold. But when it got really intense and seemed like we were nearing the uh, climax, I put on the emergency brake. You know, I, I kind of propped myself up a little and I said, Joe, I don't want to come. And she, she kind of was like, oh, uh, oh, oh, okay. I didn't want to come because, you know, this is the very first event of the first evening I mean you know I wanted to pace myself so Joe slows down and lightens up and slips out and so I catch my breath and I prop myself up and I lean into her and she leans into me and I said you're not going to believe this that was the first sexual thing I have ever done with a female her jaw dropped she she was just like what wait you're kidding me she said 
your gold star? Gold star is a, um, it's a gay slang word, meaning uh, someone who's never been with the opposite sex. And I said, yes, that is, that is exactly the situation. This is the very first, <laughs> this anal probing <laughs> is the very first sexual thing I've ever done with a female, other than, say, kissing a girl in the sixth grade. She was like, oh, my God, you are so funny. She said, I can't believe I had the honor, without even knowing it, of breaking your opposite gender cherry. I said, yep, yep, it was you. I'll never forget. Strap on Joe. And we laughed, and I got my pants back on, and I strolled away. I went over to Jefferson's booth. He said, I heard... I heard that your very first experiment was the craziest one in this room. And I said, yeah, that is my comfort zone. And he said, so you met Strap-On Joe. I said, yeah, yeah, I did. He said, well, she's a real pro. She's known in the kink community for being, you know, a teacher and uh, a highly paid Strap-On fucker of dudes. As I was walking around the um, experiment event, uh, I came upon one of my favorite things that I saw the whole weekend. Uh, one of the stations was uh, you could get zapped by a uh, stun gun like cops use. Um, this woman, beautiful woman, she looked like um, the woman that uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman, his love interest in The Graduate, young lady, and she was completely nude, and she, she her, her hands were kind of like tied to a trapeze bar, so she was a little bit suspended in air, and this, this dude, this older man, was not, not actually zapping her with this stun gun, but zapping near her or around her. And she kept like screaming and kicking at him and, and, and wrestling with him. And he was wrestling with her and zapping near her. And there was just so much laughing going on that I couldn't help. I was laughing out loud the whole time. She was laughing. Everyone around the circle just had huge smiles on their faces. It was... I was beginning to understand why they call this stuff play. And I tried a couple more things at the experiment. I tried uh, being spanked. But that really did remind me. It, it really brought very visceral, very concrete memories of my mom hitting me with a wooden spoon when I was a kid. And it was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. I, 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 I pretended I liked it, but I didn't like it. And the next thing I did was uh, to get punched. I went to the punching station, and this guy was amazing. He was this gorgeous guy. I, he seemed like your stereotypical, like, macho gay dude. Like, you know, leather jacket. Like, looked like a kind of dude you see at the Eagle or whatever. What he does is he uses the back of his fist to pound the area above the pecs, like rhythmically, like bam, 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 like, like kind of like a, a reverse of a, you know, gorilla beating its chest. And once he's got a little rhythm going, once he's like 
prepared the central nervous system for the fact that there's a lot of like uh, shaking up going on there. Everything's like tenderized and prepared, and then he just lets go this fucking like. It, it feels like it is a rock going into your body. Just this bam! And the whole body kind of shakes and re, re, you, you get, gets a hold of itself. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And it's just an amazingly emotional feeling. I don't know what all we carry in our chest, but it seems like a lot of emotion happens there. And so when this thing just kind of like cannonballs into it, I mean, I was just instantly lightheaded. It hurt a little bit, but more so it was just this feeling that I had been penetrated. Who knew? But I, I really enjoyed being punched. I would not try it at home. <laughs> I, I would want to take a class in what he was doing because it seems like the sort of thing that if you don't know what you're doing, you could really, really hurt someone. But then we had to go because it was time for the orgy. Now, the first orgy of the first night uh, was going to be in, in the same group of cabins as ours was. You just <laughs> walked down our porch to the cabin at the end uh, that they called the Sexorama. Now, in the gay world, an orgy, it, it truly is one of life's great joys to me. I mean, I can actually say I have experienced ecstasy at some of these things. But even on the lamest night, I love how everyone arrives and puts all their clothes and wallets and iPhones in big black garbage bags. Like we're saying, you know what? For the next couple hours, that stuff is meaningless. And then guys just start clumping up and the testosterone in the air, you feel like you could chew through it. We were doing this back when we were animals, and it's still mesmerizing. But that's all you know, man-to-man -man stuff I'm talking about. This, tonight, this was going to be the first night I'd be walking into a group with women. So it's me, Jefferson, April, Mary. We walk into this warmly lit room, and a hostess walks up, and she says, you know, all the events here at camp are safe sex events. It's great by me. I, I have a rule that I never do anything with strangers that the clinic... The STD clinic lists as medium or high risk as far as HIV goes. So great. So there's twin mattresses all over the floor going this way and that. And I can see right away, this isn't the cruisy kind of setup I'm used to where you can just orbit around and get pulled into little constellations of horny bodies. This is like a man and a woman on one mattress, a man and a woman on another. So I'm just kind of standing there awkwardly. I'm horny as hell by this point. I want to get with a dude. And to my right, there's a guy there with an amazing ass. A smaller guy, which is the way I like him. 
And it, everything about him is like round and amber. <laughs> but he's fucking this blonde woman. So I think, well, what, what do, I, do I tap him on the shoulder and say, ah, uh, can I lick your ass while you're doing that? What do I do in what feels like such a heterosexual environment? See, Jefferson, he said to me before we went to camp, he said, look, the guys are going to say they're straight or bi. But he said, look, Kevin, damn near any guy I've ever met will fool around with a guy if a woman is engaged in the activity also. Well, here's the thing. I just don't believe that. I mean, I have to look at myself. I'm not interested in women. So if I was in a threesome with a hot guy and a hot woman, I think I would feel like the woman was a little bit in the way. And so why wouldn't a straight guy feel that way about me tapping on his shoulder? But you know, my mind works very quick when I'm horny. It's just racing. It's leaping for solutions. So I'm watching this bronze bubble ass bobbing up and down. And I thought, my best bet for getting any kind of gay sex at this camp this weekend, I mean, something remotely approaching gay sex, might just have to be getting fake fucked. (laughs) By that girl, strap on Joe. I'm I'm literally standing there at this orgy figuring this out. But here's the thing. She's a teacher at the camp. She's a workshop teacher there. And it's already been made clear to me, she normally gets paid for that sort of thing. So how was I going to go about asking her? So yeah, you can see my brain does sometimes get hijacked. By horniness, I will get on a one track until I arrive at orgasm. And that track can easily go to crazy town. So anyway, I come into this other room, and it's the same setup. Man and woman on one mattress, man and woman on another. But there's one figure right in the center. He's an older man, and he's all in black. And he's sitting on his own mattress in the half lotus position and he's just calmly surveying what's going on in the room and he's asian this is one of the things about this fetish of mine i always prefer guys in their 20s or 30s this guy is in his mid 50s but if a guy is asian all considerations become almost moot a guy i might otherwise think is too fat or too thin or too tall or too goofy (laughs) if he's asian oftentimes i may not care I mean, this guy actually may as well have been the next Dalai Lama from the way he looked, but he was beautiful to me. And I thought, I found my man. So I make my way up to him, and I lean down, and I speak into his ear. I said, may I join you? And he looked up, and he shook his head. He said, no, I'm straight. And I thought... You know what? I'm going to call it a day. The next morning, everyone in the cabin woke up to the sound of the clit cleanser. You see, at the bottom of the hill on which the camp was built, there was a swimming pool, and there was a man there who spent the whole weekend, I mean, like morning, noon, and night, doing just two things, two activities. One, 
uh, lighting people on fire and hurling them into the pool wasn't an idea that appealed to me. And the other thing, he'd brought to camp this gigantic, like, industrial plumbing machinery of some sort, and he'd tapped into the camp's water supply with this thing. And he'd strap women down to a table with ropes and with their legs spread, and he had what was kind of like a small fire hose that he would spray into their vaginas with tremendous water pressure. And the second he pulled that lever, same thing happened every single time. Like primal, <laughs> like bloody murder, like Texas chainsaw massacre style, screaming. And it was the most popular thing in the camp. Damn near every woman, maybe, maybe every single one did the clit cleanser and they loved it. But it sounded like, like, you know, the Khmer Rouge was on the attack just down the hill. I went to a hilarious spanking class. I, I really discovered that I loved doing it rather than having it done to me. And then I stopped in the dungeon where this very, very tall man, like a lumberjack of a guy, he seemed to be suspended from the ceiling. He's like two blades of a ceiling fan. But he's hanging mostly, mostly by his balls. It was like a magic act. I, I did not really grasp the physics. But he truly did not seem to be happy about his situation. He's saying, oh, God. Oh, God. No, no, get me down. <laughs> get me down. And... One of the guys, one of the riggers, says to me, oh, he doesn't really want to get down. He's, you know, he's got a safe word. I thought, well, he's a good actor then, because I, I bought it. I, I really believed he did not want to be hanging from the ceiling by his balls. So, of course, I didn't expect to be doing anything that far out this weekend, but I was standing there thinking... You know, is it true there's just a few gay guys here? Or could it be that out of 400, I'm the only one? I mean, it's that thing where you, like, pay for a vacation in order to have a certain kind of experience, and then you become obsessed about incidents just not kind of going the way you'd hoped. And I was just saying, Kev, don't get depressed. Don't get depressed. Because I didn't know if I could make it to orgasm now. Which is like the most rudimentary of goals. The most embarrassingly one-dimensional goal. But people were having orgasms everywhere I looked. And then I looked across the room. And that was when I saw Dan. So cute. As you can guess, he was Asian. And not the Dalai Lama this time, but he was in his 20s, little nerdy, like he was a straight-A student of kink. I mean, his eyes were all lit up, like he was just juiced and buzzing, like turned on by every sight around. And my legs just started toward him. Like, I was practically running. There was no debating going on. And grinning real big, like, man, we already know each other. I said, hey... He says, uh, hi. I said, I'm Kevin. He said, I'm Dan. I said, um, did you ever do it with dudes? 
It's the third thing out of my mouth. Like, being in this new context had made me just as socially retarded as a being from another planet. Well, he laughed. He said, nope, hopelessly het. In my mind, I was thinking, straight people are calling it het now? But out loud, I said, God damn it. And he said, yep, a little awkward. And then we said a few more meaningless things, and I just went on my way. So, I'm looking for Jefferson and the girls in the cafeteria at lunch, and they have a new friend, Dan! And all three are kind of like, we found you at Asa, dude! And Dan says, yeah, we met before. And everyone's like, oh. But there was another new friend at the table, and her mouth was going a mile a minute, even as I was settling in with my tray. I think she was saying something like, um, projectile pussy. Lately, I'm into projectile pussy. You'll totally see what I mean later. But you know what? Like I was saying before, if it is the last thing I do, I will get fisted in church. This was uh, Beth. Turns out, a a good friend of Jefferson's. And at one point she was talking about like how the last time she saw him, just the sheer number of penises that were on her or in her, she said, oh, I'm giving myself a Beth boner just thinking about it. Yeah, who knew? I'd be such a fan of Bukaki. And it turns out it's a pretty good exfoliant. She just went on and on like that. To look at, at Beth, I mean, you'd just think she was the girl next door like a friendly, perky, 1920s kind of bob haircut. Another very successful career woman, too. But she's been in orgies all around the world. And her brain just runs on sex. She said, God, what I would do to be the owner of a penis. But you know what? If I went out and got one sewn on, I'd just end up getting six more. It turns out that Beth knows my Asian friend Dan. More than knows him. She says she'd promised she'd put a um, chastity belt on him after lunch with, uh, with spikes built into the interior of the crotch to stab at his balls. So, <clears throat> off they went. So, Jefferson and April and Mary and I are sitting there, and I said to them, look, I'm thinking of getting... Strap on fucked by a lady. Because so far in this camp, nothing's shaking with the men. I mean, I, I came here to try new things. That would be new things. Jefferson said, Kevin, a hundred women here would love to. I said, really? I was thinking strap on Joe. April said, oh, yeah, but she's teaching and hosting events all weekend. And Mary said, yeah, and doesn't she normally get paid for that? Jefferson said, look, look. You're better off just putting your wish up on the wishboard. I'll take you there. Now, in the camp, there was this bulletin board where people just wrote down on index cards things that they'd like to engage in over the weekend. Jefferson said, look, if someone sees your wish and they want to make it come true, they'll try and find you at your cabin. I thought, what? It's like throwing pennies in a fountain. That's a solution. But Jefferson said, look, look, look. If you're super simple and specific about one thing you want done, it it could work. Just write down, 
I want to be strap-on fucked by a lady, Kevin, cabin B10. So I did. I said, seriously, have you ever heard of this working for anyone? He said, actually, no. I took a workshop that afternoon called All About Anal. Now, again, the teacher is a super, super hot lesbian. She's maybe Dominican, but she just seemed in every way possible like a dude and went by the name Javier. And everyone, male or female or whatever orientation, was just gaga for this woman. And her assistant is this young, like, sandy-haired hipster dude named Eddie. And he just said, I'm a straight guy and I love having things up my butt. So she gets all his clothes off. She props him up on a couch and has his legs up in the air. It's a, it's a very odd thing to see in a classroom setting. And so his anus is facing us, but it's just a thing of beauty. It's just soft, uh, vulnerable, pink aperture. And she said, Jesus, that is one beautiful anus. And then she turned to the class and said, anus may be my very favorite word. It's a gorgeous name for an amazing part of us. And I thought, this woman has my brain. And then she seemed to lose her mind. She seemed to forget she was teaching a class and she just shoved everything you could possibly imagine in there until this dude was just completely hyperventilated and just unraveled like a rubber band ball that got struck by a bullet. Then I noticed Strap-On Joe was going to be the next teacher assigned to take over the room. I thought, all right, well, maybe here's a chance. I take this next class, and I just hang out afterwards, and I can gradually, casually indicate that I'd love to have a play date with her if she has time or something along those lines. So as people are assembling in the seats, I took out a schedule and I saw that this class was called Polyamorous Relationships. Now here's the second reason I signed up to go to kink camp. There was the adventure of it, yeah, but there was also this. It's now been a full year since my husband of nine years and I separated. And it was very nice having an open relationship all that time. But now I'm so used to that open relationship mindset that I feel like I have to search for another open relationship. I don't feel like I can date a guy who hopes and dreams of a lifetime of sexually exclusive monogamy. I don't look down on people who want that. I just don't think it's desirable or realistic, or good 
for me, uh, in my personal experience, to commit to sexual exclusivity with just one person like that's the crucial pillar needed to hold up a fulfilling relationship, that would just be going against my nature and my feeling about what's reality. But to tell someone on a first date or a second date that you prefer open relationships, that just scares the crap out of people. And it's because it's drilled into our heads 10,000 times a day from the day we're born that the most perfect, ideal thing to do in life would be to marry your high school sweetheart at 21 and go to the grave, never touching another soul. And you know who drills it into our heads the most? It's not our parents. It's not our teachers. It's not our clerics. It's artists. It's Beyonce. And... um Johnny Depp and Nicholas Sparks, they tell us day in and day out in our movies, our songs, our books, if you aren't living happily ever after with a prince or princess, in this life, you're a loser. And I just say, bullshit. As this new generation of gays has become so obsessed with marriage, I finally felt I had to reach out to another community, the kink community, that embraces the mindset once forged by gay men, <laughs> making it all the more depressing to be, as far as I could tell, the only one there. So, Joe starts this class. When I'd met her in the experiment event, I mean, she had been so exuberant, you know, so cute, you know, with her short blonde hair and her big rubbery smile. She's like a little boy with a new puppy or something. But talking on this subject, she seemed completely flustered starting this class. She seemed kind of upset, actually. She said, listen, I just want to say first that, I mean, maybe this isn't, even exactly what this class is supposed to be about, but I just want to, I just want to say it. The thing is, no matter what kind of relationship you have, if it's open or monogamous or vanilla or kinky, all of us, all of us seem to lose sight about how great it can be just to be there for your partner just to take pleasure in pleasing your partner. We get to a point where we forget to be creative, to take enjoyment from making them smile. If you're in a relationship, you should think, what have you done lately to go out of your way for them? Like, when you get back from this trip, you could be giving them a bath, or you could be playing with them under the table at a restaurant. Or you could be organizing a threesome or foursome specially catered to your partner's pleasure, not your own. And there was this weird silence in the room. And I went into myself because I knew that this was the reason I had come here. Because... I had had a happy 
open relationship. And I truly failed. I drifted away from creating adventures for us and surprising him with new, you know, nice things and seeing how I could help him out day to day, seeing how I could make our home a happy place for him to come to and staying invested in his story. I just, I just let it slip away. And then this man spoke up. He looked like um, an elderly Charles Dickens. I mean, I think this guy was about 70, maybe 65. His eyes were just despondent. And he said, um, that's what I want to know about. I, I don't do these things. I, I don't give a crap about kinky stuff. I, I know you all enjoy that, and, and that's fine by me. I came here because my wife wanted to come. And I let her play around with other people, and I don't care about that. What I care about is... What happened to your love for me? And when he said that, when he said, your love, he said it to a woman sitting on the opposite side of the room, and we all looked over. She's this little, carefree-looking woman. I mean, she's also like 70, I mean, 65 at the youngest. She looked like um, Ruth Gordon in Harold and Maude. And she was just looking back at him with this blank smile like uh, she just didn't know what to say and he said it one more time he said I let you play with other people but now you're never there for me didn't ask Joe for a play date after that. Everyone just kind of wandered away from the class in a daze. I was spent, so I decided to take a nap. Now, I have this app on my iPhone called Sleepstream, and it plays white noise into your earbuds, and when you have it on, you really, truly cannot hear anything happening in the world around you. So I slept for like two solid hours, and when I came to, I pulled the earbuds out and immediately realized there was a party going on at our cabin. 
all the friends we'd made were there, hanging out on our porch, and this is like five feet from where I'd been sleeping. Uh, they're all sharing beers and smoking weed and laughing up a storm, and I'd been completely oblivious of this. And I walk out on the porch, there's everyone, including Dan, the Asian dude I was crushing over, and Beth, the you know Looney Tune who wishes she had seven penises. But here's the thing. While everyone's talking about something else, Dan has his hand up Beth's vagina. All around is a scene you've seen a million times, people hanging out, joking around. But in the middle of this cluster, someone is being fisted, and no one (laughs) is acting like it's unusual. The whole essence of kink camp in one fell swoop because Dan was an adorable, geeky Asian dude having the balls to fist a girl on our porch in broad daylight, I I had an instant hard on. Then he pulls out, and I see he's wearing uh, like a shiny purple rubber or latex glove. And of course, it's all wet with, um, well, with Beth. And he says to the group, and now, dessert! and he stuffs the glove in his mouth and licks it clean. I almost fainted. Then we all went to dinner, and I remember Beth was saying to Jefferson, you know, I've had far too much conversation from you, and not nearly enough cock. Why don't you come to the cigar and chocolate party tonight? Well, I was surprised about that. I mean, to me, the the cigar and chocolate party sounded like the least interesting event of the of the weekend it, it was one of the only events that didn't end in the word orgy but beth seemed to consistently be where the action was so we decided to go now this event was in a giant open-air gazebo sort of place. And at the far end of the room were five giant throne-like structures, like fantastic chairs raised up on platforms. And at the base of each, there's a man or a woman dressed like a man, but they're all in black leather, but nude in the crotch and ass region and groveling, really groveling. And at the center throne is Beth. And she's having her boots spit-shined by one of these groveling men. And she sees us and she shouts out, Hello! She said, Guys, I am tits deep in awesome now. Look at him slaving away. She was flushed in the face. She's getting such a rush out of this. You know, calling this groveling man, Good boy. Yes, rub it. Rub it harder. And I finally got something. I finally felt like the resonance of what was happening between two people in one of these incidents. This improvisation, this make-believe, was exciting for her in a mostly titillating way, the way that comedy improv is exciting for comedy improvisers in a mostly clever way. Beth was just gushing and reveling to see someone so humbled before us. She was kinky queen for a day. 
And he felt it, the man on the ground. And when she couldn't help anymore but just laugh and laugh at how amazing she was feeling, he stuck his tongue out and started licking her boot, frenching it, suckling it, slathering it with his saliva. Even the souls that had walked to that gazebo through the mud, he was virtually devouring her entire boot. And this was a shift. This was another gear. Beth's eyes just rolled up into her head and she went, oh, like she was lost to us now. And by now, the whole room is watching and cheering, and she's breathing like she's coming up from underwater. And she starts yelling, yes, yes, yes. And she rips off her skirt, and she plunges her right hand into her vagina, and she's yanking away, and she looks like she's been shot in the gut. She's laughing and crying at the same time, and she can't even make a sound until she just goes, and she just collapses from the throne. She could barely walk away. She was so blissfully destroyed by a man who hadn't even touched her flesh. All he'd been doing was licking her boots. So she staggers off. And Jefferson and I were just standing there with our jaws dropped, holding our cigars. And this young lady approaches with a a silver tray of chocolates. This beautiful girl, redhead, buxom, just like a sweet-natured Midwestern kind of girl, like um, one of the girls in Meet Me in St. Louis or something like that. But after we'd taken a chocolate, she turned to me and she said, Oh, by the way, sir, I'm also a human ashtray. And so if you'd like to ash your cigar on me, you're perfectly welcome to. And I said, Oh, no, thank you. But Jefferson said, I'll do it. And she said, Oh, how nice. And she set her tray down. Now, Jefferson had a ridiculously long ash on a ridiculously fat cigar. This ash was maybe two inches. She said, well, sir, I'd be specially grateful if you ashed on my head or on my breasts or in my mouth. And now Jefferson's turning red in the face. He says, oh, your mouth. She arranges her skirt just so. She gets down on both knees right in front of us. She lifts her face up to him with her eyes closed and opens her mouth. And Jefferson very precisely just inserts the cigar in her mouth and tap, tap, like to get every bit of it in there. And looking totally blissful, she closes her mouth and swallows And she got back up off her knees and said, thank you, sir, and walked off. And now it was Jefferson making the same noise that Beth had made before. He looked at me and he went, oh, that made me so hard. That was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. So within 10 minutes between Beth and her boots and Jefferson and his cigar, I was really taken aback. 
in a new way for the first time this week. I mean, physical things I'd seen didn't quite compare to this trip, you know, this dominance and submission game playing. I was walking away from the cigar party, and I started remembering how in my comedy improv classes, we used to be taught that there should always be a high-status character and a low-status character. And I remember how I always got an extra charge out of playing the high-status guy. I remember thinking back then, that's probably because in real life, I'm usually too nice, you know, too agreeable, too much the doormat. Might it be that there'd be some something cathartic in this kind of kink play for me? Maybe I'd end up a more assertive man in the world if every now and then someone was licking my boots. I decided to cruise around the camp, seeing as how it was the last night, but now it was just for fun. You know, just for, for, for sightseeing. I really had just finally let go on the whole having an orgasm thing. At this point, I felt like, you know, look, the experience has been plenty loaded. You know, just because I didn't get this one thing I'd been aiming for certainly doesn't mean it hasn't been an experience. And while I'm thinking this, I notice there's a man walking next to me on the main pathway who had done a woman up entirely in plaster casting like when you break a leg full body cast except for her exposed private parts she's frozen into this angular position and her hands are glued to wheels and he's turned this woman into a human wheelbarrow and he's holding her feet and wheeling her through the campsite while her face is nearly scraping the ground it was like this guy was making my point for me take note of the experience you're actually having. And I duck into one of the orgy rooms to see if anything interesting's going on. And there's that bright blonde hair, super short, like a boy on Peter Pan's Island with Strap on Joe. She was actually just there chatting with someone. And I said, hey. And she said, hey, oh, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You're Kevin, right? Are you the same Kevin that put a wish on the wishboard saying you'd like to be fucked by a woman with a strap on? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm that Kevin. And she said, dude, I totally do you. I just started laughing. I said, fuck. I've wanted to ask you that all weekend. She said, what? But why the hell didn't you? That's my freaking name. I said, yeah, I know. I just, I, I didn't know how to ask. She said, are you nuts? I'd love nothing more. You're a total stud muffin. Which is certainly a word I never imagined I'd ever hear anyone use in referring to me. I said, well now she said oh no no she said meet me back here in an hour i gotta go get my cock
I was beside myself. I, the wish that I'd put on that wishboard had come true. And how uncanny that in the 11th hour, it just fell right into place like that. I texted a guy I've kind of been seeing a little back home. And I said, I'm about to be fucked by a lady with a strap on. And he said, oh, sweetheart, just be safe. And I said, well, of course I'll be safe. It's just a dildo. And he said, well, I guess I mean, don't break any bones. So I go back to the cabin to freshen up. And there's Bobby. Remember the regular old guy who always had a beer or wine or whiskey for you? But now he's in fishnet stockings, super high red heels, and shiny silver chastity belt. And he's preparing a cow milking machine, like an actual farmer's cow milking machine that dudes are supposed to stick their cocks in. (laughs) And he says, hey, Kevin. You want to get milk dry? And I said, oh, Bobby, I'd love to. I wish you would ask sooner, you know, because I got to go get fucked by Strap-On Joe. Now, I was still a little nervous about will I have an orgasm? I mean, one of the reasons I thought to be fucked rather than to do the fucking, was because if I was a top, I might not be able to maintain an erection with a lady and perform, but as the bottom, all I'd have to do was come. But even that was not guaranteed. Anyway, I get back to the orgy room, and there's Joe, and she says, I got it! And it's a hot pink dildo attached to a black jockstrap. So she starts looking around for an like an alcove for us to to go to. And she says, you know, I would really love to get you hanging in a sling. And I thought, sure, something hanging from the ceiling that I can get my ass up in? Let's, Let's do it. Let's go all out. We enter one of these orgy rooms that does have a sling in this dark little alcove way in the back that I'd never noticed before. And as we're passing through this main room, I notice that Jefferson and Mary are nude and wrapped around each other on one of the mattresses. And I think, well, I'll have witnesses because I'm feeling like I'm about to be making some noise back there. So we get back into this tiny little room and I instantly love the place because it's dark and dingy and smelly and industrial feeling. It feels masculine, like the back room of a hardcore gay bar. And I knew she knew that. That's why she brought me there. So I I strip completely nude. I just toss my clothes in a pile on the dusty floor there. And I jump up into this sling 
and she she kind of wrangles on this jock strap like she's you know putting on a pair of trousers or something. I mean, the thing looks pretty ridiculous. It looks like you're putting on a piece of a clown costume. So we're we're laughing, and she snaps her bra off and she goes boo boobies, and she did indeed have big ones. I decided I was going to have to ignore that part. I, I was going to have to use a little imagination. I knew. I mean, but I'd, I'd seen people using their brains as sex organs a lot that day. But I was turned on that Joe was not interested in foreplay. We were here to get straight to the main event that felt very male. So she stuck it up the old wazoo and the gears shifted. We started kind of slow because we had to kind of match the rhythm of three things, two bodies and this this rubber extension that at first had a little bit of a mind of its own. But before long, something clicked and we moved into just this hot, heavy pounding. And, you know, my Mr. Hyde just started coming up. I, I was loud. And every now and then I'd catch a glimpse of her eyes just looking totally psyched to hear this coming out of me. And she was working hard. She was, she was getting a workout. She was doing her goddamnedest to make it feel like testosterone plus testosterone. And I was playing along. I was finally in a scene, as the kinksters say, you know? And the scene just got more and more intense and we're sweating up a storm and I'm sounding like King Kong. And she's egging me on. And I went into that realm where you just feel out of control and happy to be there. And pound, 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 pound. And finally, the explosion. Was finished and she's hovering over me and she's looking at me in awe she just said holy fuck dude you're intense that was something else and i said yeah that's exactly what that was and jefferson overheard this part he quoted it back to me later she said are you sure you don't like women? I mean, you, you've never had any attraction to women. And I said, no. And that was that. I shared my email with Strap on Joe before I left camp the next morning. And I got an email from her just before recording this story. She said, Holy shit, dude. I thought I recognized you. You're not just any gay guy. <laughs> You're the redhead gay. And I wrote back, Yep. Only now maybe a somewhat more dimensional character.
That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.